0: Hi, and welcome back to the Booker Woman podcast. This is going to be a discussion about Helam in chapter 13 this time. Uh, Remember now we have been in the history so far in these last few chapters where Nephi and Lehi have been preaching the gospel to the Nephites and the Lamanites. For the most part, the Lamanites have become righteous. They've joined the church. They've been baptized. Whereas the Nephites and Zarahemla have rejected the words of Lehi and Nephi, and so they have become a little bit more wicked than than the Lamanites. So chapter 13, then, and 14 and 15 is going to be about Samuel the Lamanite that comes among the Nephites to preach the gospel to them. I've always wondered why Samuel the Lamanite needs to come and do this. Nephi, remember, he's the prophet. He's in Zarahemla. Uh, maybe uh, Samuel has been invited by by Nephi to come in and preach. Maybe this is like a state conference, and Samuel the Lamanite's in Area 70. He's been assigned to come to the Zarahemla stake to preach and, and uh Anyway, I wonder why Samuel the Lamanite has to come to do this when Nephi is already there. Interesting question, don't know the answer. All right, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the eighty and 6th year, so now we're at about 6 BC, the Nephites <clears throat> did still remain in wickedness, yea, in great wickedness, while the Lamanites did observe strictly to keep the commandments of God according to the law of Moses. And it came to pass in this year there was one Samuel, a Lamanite, came into the land of Zarahemla, and began to preach unto the people and it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people and they did cast him out and he was about to return to his own land but behold the voice of the lord now in verse 7 it mentions that an angel of the lord appeared to him so take your pick it's either the voice of the lord or an angel could be both came unto him that he should return again and prophesy unto the people whatsoever things should come into his heart. This also sounds like uh, Alma and Nephi, where they preach, they're rejected, they leave, and then an angel or a voice comes and tells them to go back. Verse 4, And it came to pass that they would not suffer that he should enter into the city. Therefore he went and got upon the wall thereof. Servants of the Lord do all they can to fulfill their callings, no matter the obstacles in their way and stretched forth his hand, and cried with a loud voice, and prophesied unto the people whatsoever things the Lord put into his heart. Joseph Smith said, The spirit of revelation is when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you. It may give you sudden strokes of ideas, so that by noticing it, you may may find it fulfilled the same day or soon. That is, those things that were presented unto your minds by the Spirit of God will come to pass, and thus, by learning the Spirit of God, And understanding it, you may grow into the principle of revelation until you become perfect in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, And he said unto them, Behold, I, Samuel, a Lamanite, do speak the words of the Lord, which he doth put into my heart. And behold, he hath put it into my heart to say unto this people that the sword of justice hangeth over this people, and four hundred years pass not away, save the sword of justice falleth upon this people. Now this is fulfilled in in Mormon chapter 6. Yea, heavy destruction awaiteth this people, and it surely cometh unto this people, and nothing can save this people, save it be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, who surely shall come into the world, and shall suffer many things, and shall be slain for his people. And behold, an angel of the Lord, so Benjamin, Alma, Amulek, and Samuel the Lamanite saw an angel of the Lord, which may be a a euphemism for seeing the Lord himself. For example, it is difficult to distinguish between the angel of the Lord and Jehovah in several passages in the Old Testament, Genesis 16, 22, Exodus 3, and Judges 2. Uh, thus, their teaching and testimonies of Jesus are based on first hand knowledge and acquaintance, and that was by John Welch. Continuing verse 7, Hath declared it unto me, and he did bring glad tidings to my soul, and, behold, I was sent unto you to declare it unto you also, that ye might have glad tidings, but, behold, ye would not receive me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people of the Nephites, except they repent, I will take away my word from them, and I will withdraw my spirit from them. The prophet Joseph Smith appeared to Brigham Young following Joseph's death and instructed his successor, and said, Tell the people to be humble and faithful, and to be sure to keep the Spirit of the Lord, and it will lead them right. Tell them they can tell the Spirit of the Lord from all other spirits. It will whisper peace and joy to their souls. It will take malice, hatred, strife, and all evil from their hearts, and their whole desire will be to do good. Joseph visited me a great deal after his death, said Brigham Young, and taught me many important principles. Among other things, he told me to get the Spirit of God that all of us needed it. He said, I want to teach you the I want you to teach the people to get the Spirit of God. You cannot build up the kingdom without that. But how is it How is it with the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost does not leave me if I do my duty. It does not leave any man who does his duty. That was by Wilford Woodruff. Continuing verse 8, And I will suffer them no longer, and I will turn the hearts of their brethren against them. And four hundred years shall not pass away before I will cause that they shall be smitten. Yea, I will visit them with the sword and with famine and with pestilence. Yea, I will visit them in my fierce anger, and there shall be those of the fourth generation who shall live of your enemies to behold your utter destruction. And this shall surely come, except ye repent, saith the Lord. And those of the fourth generation shall visit your destruction. But if ye will repent, and return unto the Lord your God, I will turn away mine anger, saith the Lord. Yea, thus saith the Lord, Blessed are they who will repent, and turn unto me, but woe unto him that repenteth not. Yea, woe unto this great city of Zarahemla, for behold, it is because of those who are righteous that it is saved. Yea, woe unto this great city, for I perceive, saith the Lord, that there are many, yea, even the more part of this great city, that will harden their hearts against me, saith the Lord. But blessed are they who will repent, for them will I spare. But behold, if it were not for the righteous who are in this great city, speaking like of Nephi, Lehi, and those that followed him, I would cause that fire should come down out of heaven and destroy it. It was destroyed by fire at the crucifixion of Christ, as we read in uh, 3 Nephi chapter 8 and and 3 Nephi chapter 9. But behold, it is for the righteous' sake that it is spared. Richard L. Evans said, I do not know what degree of repentance would be required of us to avert some of the things that might be imminent or at least remote possibilities. You recall Abraham's bargaining concerning the destruction of Sodom, how he pleaded that the city would be spared if there were 50 righteous souls, then 45 and so on, down to 10. I doubt that we shall realize terms as favorable as Abraham was able to secure for Sodom. Apparently he was an astute bargainer, but the ten weren't found and Sodom wasn't saved. I don't know that ten of a city would be enough to save us today, but I am sure that the degree of our repentance will be taken into consideration. And I earnestly hope and pray that we may give full repentance and others with us to the end that our father in heaven in his mercy and in his patience and in his love for his children which he has declared and in whose immortality and eternal life he has stated his earnest interest will revise his timetables whatever they may be according to the degree of our repentance if he would agree to save a city for 10 repentant souls think what he would do for a whole nation or people who repented continuing verse 14 but behold the time cometh saith the Lord, that when ye shall cast out the righteous from among you, then shall ye be ripe for destruction. Yea, woe be unto this great city, because of the wickedness and abominations which are in her. There are no private sins. All sin has the effect of weakening the fabric of society. Because of this, it is inevitable that the righteous will suffer because of the transgressions of others. Nevertheless, the Lord goes to great lengths to protect and spare the righteous. The present verse is undoubtedly recall to the reader's mind, the account of Abraham bartering with the, with the Lord over Sodom. Uh, then he says, uh, And to each the Lord consented. He would, he would spare the city if there were only ten righteous people within it. As sin, be it public or private, weakens the fabric of society so all that is wholesome and good, reaches out to bless and even preserve it. That was by Millet McConkie. Verse 15, Yea, and woe be unto the city of Gideon for the wickedness and abominations which are in her. Following the crucifixion of Christ, he names many cities that had been destroyed. The city of Gideon was not one of those cities mentioned, so maybe they repented. Yea, and woe be unto all the cities which are in the land round about, which are possessed by the Nephites because of the wickedness and abominations which are in them. And behold, a curse shall come upon the land, saith the Lord of hosts, because of the people's sake who are upon the land, yea, because of their wickedness and their abominations. And it shall come to pass, that the Lord saith the Lord of hosts, yea, our great and true God, that whoso shall hide up treasures in the earth shall find them again no more, because of the great curse of the land, save he be a righteous man, and shall hide it up unto the Lord. For I will, saith the Lord, that they shall hide up their treasures unto me. Hugh Nibley said, What is consecrated is that is then made sacred, withdrawn from the ordinary economy dedicated to a particular purpose and to that purpose only. It can never be recalled or used for any other purpose without being desecrated. A striking passage in Helaman brings this out while providing a powerful bit of evidence for the bona fides of the Book of Mormon. Bona fides, sorry. Samuel the Lamanite tells the people that their riches will be cursed because they have set their hearts upon them. And that when they flee before their enemies and bury their treasures, if they bury them not unto the Lord, they will become slippery and can never be found again. In the Copper Scroll of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we learn that when the Jews fled from Jerusalem before their enemies, they also buried their treasures and they also buried them up unto the Lord so that they could never again be used in profane negotiations. All such buried treasures had to be used for the temple and nothing else it would be hard to find a more convincing parallel it is a reminder that when i consecrate i cannot be with it cannot be with with limitations or qualifications Continuing verse 19, and cursed be they who hide not up their treasures unto me, for none hideth up their treasures unto me, save it be the righteous. And he that hideth not up his treasures unto me, like the golden plates or the brass plates and the ermentumum and, and the liahona, cursed is he, and also the treasure, and none shall redeem it because of the curse of the land. And the day shall come that they shall hide up their treasures because they have set their hearts upon riches, and because they have set their hearts upon their riches, and will hide up their treasures when they flee before their enemies, because they will not hide them up unto me. Cursed be they, and also their treasures, and in that day they shall, shall they be smitten, saith the Lord. Behold ye, the people of this great city, and hearken unto my words. Yea, hearken unto the words which the Lord saith. For behold, he saith that, he, that ye are cursed because of your riches, and also are your riches cursed because ye have set your hearts upon them, and have not hearkened unto the words of him who gave them unto you. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord also said to the saints, Wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments, which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me. For his word ye shall receive, as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. Verse 22, Ye do not remember the Lord your God in the things with which he hath blessed you, but ye do always remember your riches, not to thank the Lord your God for them. Yea, your hearts are not drawn out unto the Lord, but they do swell with great pride unto boasting. We boast that we have gotten our riches because of our intelligence and industry, but they are a gift from God, and we should be good stewards of these assets the Lord has entrusted into our keeping for a while. And unto great swelling, envying, strifes, malice, persecutions, and murders, and all manner of iniquities. For this cause hath the Lord God caused that a curse should come upon the land, and also upon your riches, and this because of your iniquities. Yea, woe unto this people because of this time Which has arrived that ye do cast out the prophets and do mock them and cast stones at them and do slay them and do all manner of iniquity unto them, even as they did of old time. And now when ye talk, ye say, if our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. Most people of the world are always a generation behind. Those of our day believe in the dead prophets, but not in the living ones. Behold, ye are worse than they, for as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come among you, and declareth unto you the word of the Lord, which testifieth of your sins and iniquities. Prophets always tell the truth. They always tell us what we need to hear. Ye are angry with him, and cast him out, and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, ye will say that he is a false prophet, that he is a sinner, and of the devil, because he testifieth that your deeds are evil." But behold, if a man shall come among you, and shall say, Do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and ye shall not suffer, yea, he will say, Walk after the pride of your own hearts, yea, walk after the pride of your eyes, and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you, and say this, ye will receive him, and say that he is a prophet, yea, ye will lift him up, and ye will give unto him of your substance, yea, uh, ye will give unto him of your gold and of your silver, and ye will clothe him with costly apparel. And because he speaketh flattering words unto you, and he hath and he saith that all is well, then ye will not find fault with him. Elder Oaks said, Church leaders need consideration since the responsibilities of church leadership include the correction of others. That function is not popular. As the Lamanite prophet Samuel taught, when a prophet comes among among us and speaks of our iniquities, we are, very, we are made angry. We call him a false prophet and cast him out. But if a man comes among us and speaks flattering words, we will not find fault with him. We will call him a prophet and reward him. I have given the following counsel to church members, those who have committed themselves by upraised hands to sustain their church leaders. Criticism is particularly objectionable when it is directed toward church authorities, general or local. Jude condemns those who speak evil of dignities. Evil speaking of the Lord's anointed isn't a class by itself. It is one thing to depreciate a person who exercises corporate power or even government power. It is quite another thing to criticize or deprecate or depreciate a person for the performance of an office to which he or she has been called of God. It does not matter that the criticism is true. As George F. Richards, president of the Council of the Twelve, said in the conference in April of, 18, of 1947, when we say anything bad about the leaders of the church, whether true or false, we tend to impair their influence and their usefulness and are thus working against the Lord and his cause. Herbali said, you may not like what comes from the authority of the church. It may contradict your political views. It may contradict your social views. It may interfere with some of your social life. But if you listen to these things, as if from the mouth of the Lord himself with patience and faith, the promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. Verse 29, O ye wicked and ye perverse generation, ye hardened and and ye stiff-necked people! How long will ye suppose that the Lord will suffer you? Yea, how long will will ye suffer yourselves to be led by foolish and blind guides? Yea, how long will ye choose darkness rather than light? It seems to be an easy decision for mankind to decide whom to follow, since we know the ultimate destiny attached to our choice of the leader of each cause. It is difficult to imagine that anyone would knowingly choose to follow Satan. But the problem isn't just a choice of whom we choose to follow. The real challenge for us is to discover the true identity of those who encourage and persuade us. One reason it is so difficult is that we don't personally see or deal directly with Satan. He is a master of camouflage, desiring that he be not discovered as being the author of his work. He has legions of agents who also hide in sinful shadows. While helping him in the battle for our soul, we have to recognize the evil inherent in the enticements of his representatives before we will reject him and his ways. That was by Otten and Caldwell. Verse 30. Yea, behold, the, the anger of the Lord is already kindled against you. Behold, he hath cursed the land because of your iniquity. And behold, the time cometh that he curseth your riches, that they become slippery, that ye cannot hold them. And in the days of your poverty, ye cannot retain them. Hugh Nibley said that the prophet uh, Samuel the Lamanite sets forth the interesting rule that when the economy becomes the main and engrossing concern of a society, or in the routine Book of Mormon phrase, when they begin to set their hearts upon their riches, the economy will self-destruct. This is how he puts it. Ye do always remember your riches. Your hearts are not drawn out into the Lord, but they do swell with great pride, envying, strifes, malice, and so on. Note well the sequence of folly. First, we are well pleased with ourselves because of our wealth. Then comes the game of status and prestige, leading to competitive maneuvers, hatred and dirty tricks, and finally the ultimate solution. Where wealth guarantees respectability, principles melt away as the criminal element rises to the top. Marion G. Romney said, Tithing is a debt which everyone owes to the Lord for his use of the things that the Lord has made and given to to him to use. It is a debt just as literally as the grocery bill or a light bill or any other duly incurred obligation. As a matter of fact, the Lord to whom one owes tithing is in a position of preferred creditor. If there is not enough to pay all creditors, he should be paid first. Now I am sure you will have a little shock at that, but that is the truth. Other creditors of tithe payers, however, need to have no cause to worry, for the Lord always blesses the person who has faith enough to pay his tithing so that his ability to pay his other creditors is not thereby reduced. Verse 32, And in the days of your poverty ye shall cry unto the Lord, and in vain shall ye cry, for your desolation has already come upon you, and your destruction is made sure. After a person refuses to have faith in Christ and rejects Christ's offer to make him free from sin, after he spurns the ordinances of salvation and thus forsakes the only channel by which the powers of godliness might be enjoyed in his life, after he lives in such a way as to offend and grieve the Holy Spirit, the only true source of light and comfort in a troubled and sin-tangled world, after a person fails to humble himself before God, fails to partake of the bread of life in the living waters, fails to receive and abide by the word of the Almighty, after making these negative responses and remaining unrepentant, that person will find his calling and destruction made sure. He is His is the plight of the hopeless, the destiny of the doomed, the abode of the damned. Having chosen darkness, deceit, and degradation in this life, he will be rewarded with or have restored to him hereafter circumstances consistent with that choice. Where God and Christ and the faithful dwell, such souls cannot come, worlds without end. And that was by Millet McConkie. Continuing verse thirty two, And then shall ye weep and howl in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, and then shall ye lament and say, Oh that I had repented and had not killed the prophets, and stoned them, and cast them out! Yea, in that day ye shall say, Oh that we had remembered the Lord our God in the day that he gave us our riches, and then they would not have become slippery that we should lose them. For behold, our riches are gone from us. Behold, we lay a tool here, and on the morrow it is gone. And behold, our swords are taken from us in the day we have sought them for battle. Yea, we have hid up our treasures, and they have slipped away from us because of the curse of the land. Oh, that we had repented in the day that the word of the Lord came unto us. For behold, the land is cursed, and all things are become slippery, and we cannot hold them. Behold, we are surrounded by demons. John A. Witso said, Until we can learn to control and resist those evil influences that are now invisible, I think it would be unprofitable to have the administration of angels personally or visibly unto us. However, one does not really need to fear the angels of evil, they are essentially cowardly. They fear light and truth, darkness and untruth are their native habitats. Their successes always come when the mind of man is darkened by unbelief or unholy practices. A resolute determination to have nothing to do with them drains their strength. They are mortally afraid of the power of the priesthood. Continuing verse 37, Yea, we are encircled about by the angels of him who hath sought to destroy our souls. There is a vast number of fallen spirits cast out with him here on the earth, meaning Satan. They do not die and disappear. They have not bodies only as they enter the tabernacles of men. There are many evil spirits amongst us. There never was a prophet in any age of the world, but what the devil was continually at his elbow. This was the case with Jesus himself. The devil followed him continually, trying to draw him from his purposes and to prevent him carrying out the great work of God. He is with the Latter-day Saints, and he or his emissaries are with all men trying to lead them astray. Where are they? They are in every city and Hamlet wherein the inhabitants of the earth dwell, and especially where there are any Latter-day Saints. And whether there are 100 or not to every man, woman, and child, there are enough of them, at least, to labor for our overthrow. They will try to make us do anything and everything that is not right. These devils would be very glad to make me and my brethren think we are great men, smarter than anyone else, to divide us one against the other, and to cause us to seek to confess our brother's sins instead of our own. We should therefore watch ourselves well. That was by Wilford Woodruff. Continuing verse 37, Behold, our iniquities are great. O Lord, canst thou not turn away thine anger from us? And this shall be your language in those days. And these are fulfilled in Third Nephi chapter 8 verses 24 and 25. Verse 38, but behold, your days of probation are past. Those who use their mortal probation unwisely, having had the gospel and the covenants of salvation, will not have the chance restored to them in the spirit world. Though they may accept the gospel there to their everlasting benefit, they will have forfeited the chance for exaltation. Assuming they lead honorable lives in mortality, their promise is that of of a terrestrial glory. That was by Millet McConkie. Continuing verse 38, ye have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is everlastingly too late and your destruction is made sure. President Kimball said, as ye have seen, or as we have seen, one can wait too long to repent. Many of the Nephites did. Of these, Samuel of Lamanite mentions the verse that I just read, verse 38. Again, observe the emphasis in the words mentioned, and let us not suppose that in calling people to repentance, The prophets are concerned only with the more grievous sins, such as murder, adultery, stealing, and so on, nor only with those persons who have not accepted the gospel ordinances. All transgressions must be cleansed. All weaknesses must be overcome before a person can attain the perfection in Godhood. Accordingly, the intent of this book is to stress the vital importance of each of us, transforming his life through repentance and forgiveness. Future chapters will deal with the various aspects of this subject in greater detail. This is President Kimball talking about his book, Miracle of Forgiveness. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, many people die with their music still in them. Why is this so? Too often it is because they are always getting ready to live. Before they know it, time runs out. Tagore expressed a similar thought in these words, I have spent my days stringing and unstringing my instrument, while the song I came to sing remains unsung. My plea, therefore, is this, let us get our instruments tightly strung and our melodies sweetly sung. Let us not die with our music still in us. Let us rather use this precious mortal probation to move confidently and gloriously upward toward the eternal life which God our Father gives to those who keep his commandments. Henry B. Eyring said, Upon hearing President Kimball's description of the effort repentance requires, those who are now in serious sin will have a thought delivered to their minds that goes something like this. Well, if it is that difficult to repent, I might as well go on in sin. Later, when I need forgiveness, I'll just go through that once. That is so unwise. Let me tell you why. First, people who postpone repentance may run out of time. And second, they will find more misery and more sin, not the happiness they hope but can't find. Remember the warning from Samuel the Lamanite mentioned again in verse 38. President Benson said, Some people intend to make a decision and then never get around to it. They intend to paint the barn to fix the fence, to haul away that old machinery or remove that old shed, but the time of decision just never arrives. Some of us face a similar situation in our personal lives. We intend to pay a full tithing. We we begin to begin keeping the word of wisdom, to make our initial home teaching visits, or ministering visits, now they're called, early in the month, however, without actual decision, followed by implementation. The weeks and months go by and nothing is accomplished. We could drift into eternity on these kinds of good intentions. The Lord apparently sensed this weakness in his children, for he said, Wherefore, if ye believe me, ye will labor while it is called today. Richard L. Evans has said, It sometimes seems that we live as if we wonder when life is going to begin. It isn't always clear just what we are waiting for, but some of us sometimes persist in waiting so long that life slips by, finding us still waiting for something that has been going on all the time. This is the life in which the work of this life is to be done. Today is as much a part of eternity as any day a thousand years ago, or as will be any day a thousand years hence. This is it. Whether we are thrilled or disappointed, busy or bored, this is life and it is passing. Continuing verse 38. Yea, for ye have sought all the days of your lives for that which ye could not obtain, and ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity, which thing is contrary to the nature of that righteousness, which is our great and eternal head. Elder Maxwell said, Henry Fairley has written perceptively in his book The Seven Deadly Sins Today concerning how the lustful person will usually be found to have a terrible hollowness at the center of his life and about the desert he has made of himself and his life. Lust, wrote fairly, is not interested in its partners, but only in the gratification of its own craving. Lust dies at the next dawn, and when it returns in the evening to search where it may, it is with its own past erased. Those so drained by sensuality do in fact seek to compensate for their loneliness by sensations. However, in the arithmetic of appetite, anything multiplied by zero still totals zero. But the senseless search goes on, just as Samuel the Lamanite bemoaned, For ye have sought all the days of your lives for that which ye could not obtain, for happiness and do an iniquity. So it is with sexual immorality, finally caused the isolation of the individual from God, from others, and yes, even from oneself. So it is that the laughter of the world is merely loneliness, pathetically trying to reassure itself. Immorality is not the verification of one's existence. Instead, it is the shrinkings the shrinking of one's significance. Verse 39, O ye people of the land, that ye would hear my words, and I pray that the anger of the Lord be turned away from you, and that ye would repent and be saved. And this is uh, the words of Samuel the Lamanite. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we uh, hear these words, uh, that we ought to repent as well and and do better in in all that we do. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Talk to you later. Bye.